In this episode, we're going to hit up uh, the hottest topic, I think, the one we have the most questions on that people seem to like the most on the podcast, and that's on deception. I've titled this Lie Spotting for a Reason, which I'll get into in this episode. And as a reminder, I got a live show coming up for people to ask questions, and that will be coming up here soon. So for those that hear this a couple weeks down the road, we probably already had it. The art of detecting deception. I think it's a lot art as much as it is science. And we're going to talk about lie spotting, kind of cover a few things we have in the past, cover a few examples, and give you some more information on our hot topic, detecting deception. That's what we're going to talk about right here on Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight. Welcome back, everybody. I first want to apologize, as I've done so many times in the past. I am not keeping up with this as much as I should be. I don't think I have as much stuff going on in my life as many people do, but I have more stuff going on now, and I'm trying to make some changes and get some things more organized for this entire brand, I guess, as you could call it. I do need to get back more into making these on time and on schedule. I apologize for that. I have started a subscription service that I'm testing right now that I've been putting some effort into. I'm also looking at getting a new logo design. So if anybody out there loves a show and you design logos, hey, give it a shot and send me one. Maybe we can work something out. I'm also trying to do other things to make the production value a little better. I just haven't gone forward with it yet, finding some like imaging and commercial type stuff like the, you know, the radio announcer commercials as well as possible music and having like a standard like intro and outro that I can just have recorded, whether it's me or somebody else, just little things like that, that I want to do, I think will make it better. I think at the end of the day, for most people that listen to this, the ones that interact and talk probably don't care that much. They're just in it for the content. And I get that. I'm just trying to improve it a little bit. And I think that will make it more enjoyable. Maybe it won't, but it's something I want to try out. Down in the show notes for the social media, I have added the link in for the Intel training and education on locals.com that you can go check out. For those that haven't seen it yet, if you go there, pretty much everything or a large portion of what I put on Facebook and Twitter normally, I put there as well. I am trying to do things to make it better for people. The majority of the content I put up is free. I put up a lot of stuff that I do on the regular Gray Man Concept stuff. I just do it earlier. And then I record some premium podcasts for people that are paying to directly assist them in their own research and study. Recently been heavily focused on open source intelligence. And I try to do one or two a week on there to help people out that are looking for that kind of thing. It gives a better way to people to interact and ask personal questions or direct questions to me, I guess, not necessarily personal questions that they want help and assistance with. And that's what I'm trying to do there. If that works out and I'm able to put more time and effort into that, I imagine one day I could increase the price if it, you know, really took off and I had to put more time into it. But right now it's the minimum on the website at $2 a month and there's a coupon code pasted at the top. So if you want to go check it out, you can just check it out and see what's there. You can use that coupon code and you can shut off the subscription if that's not what you want to do in a month. Part of what I'm trying to do is to expand this for more people that want to learn things, especially if they really want to put the effort into it. I've looked at a lot of different possibilities, including teaching again in person, which can be difficult, especially if I have to travel, although that's something I was looking at recently. Also, possibly having some sort of online class or school and developing classes and training for that, but that takes a lot of time. I'd rather just kind of go with the flow right now and do everything I can and react to what you guys want, and I think that's working for everybody. 
Now, part of the reason I called this Lie Spotting is there's a book called Lie Spotting. It's one of the books I give away. Down in the show notes, there's going to be a couple links to a test. It's simple. It's only like 18 questions, multiple choice. One's a link to the questions and one's a link to the answers. So my suggestion on how to do this, I think that will help you if you're doing this to learn. If you're the type of person that loves spoilers and likes to read the end of the book first and you want to know all the answers before you get through the story, probably just go look at the answer sheet if that's what you want to do. But for most people, I think you should go in and take the test. When you take the test, all you're doing is marking off your answers, the one you think is the best. Now, depending on how long I've been around here, there might be some stuff you're like, oh yeah, I know that. He taught me that stuff. But there's going to be ones you don't know. I suggest not cheating and looking at the answers, not trying to Google the answer. Just pick one and go with your gut. The reason you want to go with your gut, you're going to find that there's going to be times that going with your gut gives you the right answer. And you're probably going to get a lot of them wrong. Even when I first took it, I got two wrong. Now, actually, when I took the test, it showed me I got one wrong. The one I got wrong, I completely just guessed at. But I thought I knew it. But I was like, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with my gut. And I was wrong. Now, even though I only missed one, the reason I say I missed two was there was another one that I totally just guessed at and I got lucky. But when you go to the answer sheet, you'll see it shows you all four answers. It'll show you which one's the correct answer, and it'll give you an explanation why and why this is the answer for most of them. Now, that book's not the be-all, end-all, but that's to a website. On that website, there's a lot of other good information on there that you'll find that I teach from sometimes. I use that material just because it's already there. It's already created. I'd rather drive people to their website instead of trying to recreate the wheel. But I think you'll find some useful information there that are those that are looking into learning more about detecting deception. Recently, I've been putting up some of the stuff. I've done some of them in the past, simple statements about deception and the ways people that behave, body language stuff that could indicate deception. And as always, there's always comments on there about people lying or not lying or whether or not they're having subconscious activity. I try to address those the best I can. Big thing to remember, though, is all lying is a form of deception. I mean, that just makes sense. But not all deception is lying. There's plenty of reasons people indicate deception have nothing to do with lying. Some of the signs of deception, as we've talked about with other body language, often means more than one thing and can mean more than one thing, even at the same time. There are signs of deception in body language that can be attributed to environmental factors, such as it's too hot, it's too cold, it's too bright, things like that. Sometimes it can be stress frustration or nervousness, like in a job interview, for example. You know, and if you take a job interview, a lot of times people do interviews, they're nervous, so they might show signs of deception, and it's because of how they feel, really. They may not be being deceptive at all, but they show the signs that suggest deception. Because you remember, think of it as this tends to mean or tends to suggest this. This is why I always say with body language, we look for it in clusters. There's always three things going on, if not five, all kinds of stuff. Like the tone of your voice, for example, the body language you're exhibiting, IX is cueing, the words that you're using, how you're choosing to respond, how all these things work together, and then many of the things that you're seeing mean more than one thing. Sometimes in job interviews, people want to sound a little better, look a little better. They want to be a little more impressive. Or maybe just the job itself requires you to communicate to people in a way that's not along the lines of your normal everyday speech. Nothing drastic, but... Let's say it's a job interview, you're going to do customer service on the phone. There's ways you're going to be expected to behave and interact with people. And maybe the way you communicate, maybe just the scripts they have, isn't the typical way that you talk to people. And so you try to come across that way. 
you try to show that you can exhibit that type of behavior and that type of speech that they're looking for, but because it's not normally typically how you communicate, you may show signs of deception. So why deception should always be paid attention to, there's questions we should always ask ourselves about it. Like, well, they're being deceptive, but why are they being deceptive? What are reasons other than lying that they could be deceptive right now? Just like all these things I just mentioned. Are they trying to impress somebody? Are they nervous for some reason? They will show signs of deception. People that kind of dart their eyes to the side and kind of change their speech and almost trip up on their words. While those can be signs of deception, they could just be stress due to nervousness. You know, think about, you probably did it yourself or seen it happen in real life, but you've definitely seen it in movies and TV shows, you know, where the kid comes over to pick up the girl for the dance and meets the dad for the first time and his behavior is not as cool and as smooth as he is at school. And part of it is he's a little scared. He's a little nervous. He wants to make a good impression, but he doesn't want to upset anybody. And then, of course, the other person is probably doing things out of the ordinary, being a little harder on him, just kind of messing with him a little bit. And it's funny in the show, but those types of things happen in real life. And I've even seen ones like that where I guarantee the actors aren't doing it on purpose. It's just the way that they're acting. And I was like, oh, these are signs of deception. But if this was a real scenario, the reason is because change of environment, they're not completely comfortable. They're a little stressed, a little fearful. You got the way the other person's acting. So these are all factors. Sometimes it's the way we behave that can cause these signs of stress or nervousness or all kinds of feelings and reaction that could cause these responses. Because you got to remember, this is all subconscious. Very little of it is ever conscious. And most of the people that are doing it consciously are trying to throw people off with their body language. It's very difficult to do without learning all these behaviors beforehand. So just remember that when you're seeing signs of deception, If you're able to do it or learn to do it, you want to get to the point of saying, what other factors right now could be influencing this person or affecting them even on a subconscious level to get them to show this type of behavior? What things could I be doing or saying in such a way that could cause this kind of behavior? This goes back to when I talked about interrogation. Flies with honey tended to work most of the time. There's plenty of times we didn't do that. But one of the things we would try to do is make people comfortable as possible. Now, most of the time, they were just low-level guys. They were a little bit scared or trying to play tough guy which went away real quick you know they're wearing a jumpsuit they're in prison place where they believe bad things are going to happen to them and if they're a criminal bad things could happen to them down the line so we already had something working against us is the way we saw it and we would try to make them as comfortable as possible so remember that depending on the situations you're in if you're gonna have a conversation with somebody that can be planned the more comfortable you can make them the easier it can be but there are hurdles that can never never be surpassed, or at least not by most people most of the time. You know, one of the famous conversations you have with a kid when they become a teenager somewhere in there, you talk about sex and safe sex and all that kind of stuff, and nobody ever likes it. Nobody's comfortable in those conversations on either side. Sometimes there are, sometimes they have the type of relationship they can do that, but most of the time it's a difficult conversation for people to have. So while making them as comfortable as possible could be helpful, it's not going to make all that go away. So in the same manner, think about that any conversation you're in, like you're in the grocery store. I've used this example many times. You're in the grocery store, you're talking to somebody. Maybe you know them really well. Maybe you know them a little bit. Maybe you don't know them at all. But they start acting, behaving a certain way. Why is that? Are you just a guy in a grocery store that talked to a girl and wanted some help to see if she knew how to pick a better cantaloupe and that's literally all you're doing? 
but she's freaking out a little bit because she doesn't know what to do because she thinks you're hitting on her or because she feels intimidated or maybe she's nervous because she kind of liked you, but that's not what you're doing. There's all kinds of reasons there is what I'm saying. So make sure you recognize the situation, the environment you're in for any conversation or if you're not in the conversation and you're observing it, even if you're just watching something on TV, what's about this situation sets the tone for what's going on in this conversation. And you can do this on movies too. I just always recommend people watch documentaries that have interviews, watch real uh, trial stuff with actual witnesses coming up and testifying, especially when they do closer shots where you can see their face. Watch documentaries and TV shows that show police officers conducting their interviews of suspects or even people they know that are guilty. If you got kids and you're going to a little league game or you're taking them to the park, regardless of their age, watch how they interact around other adults and with other children and see what kind of body language they exhibit, what kind of behaviors, how do they act, what do they do differently there that they do with you. So if you think about kind of how the subconscious works, how it feeds our conscious mind, there's a lot of things in our subconscious that come from things we've learned over time. Now, like body language or things we recognize like on Facebook recently, one of the posts somebody put up there on one of the deception things I put up, like, you know, reading this, I always knew my dad was lying to me, but I didn't know why. And I was like, yeah, this speaks to that subconscious trait, things we pick up, but our conscious mind can't translate them to a full understanding. We just know it's there, but we can't see why. Some of that, though, is self-taught. A lot of things, like when you go to school and you learn stuff, we all know you go to public school, there's all kinds of things we don't remember. But there's things that come up later in life we do remember or things we approach again and all of a sudden we pick up on it quicker. It's because it does exist somewhere in our brain and because it hasn't been an active part of our function, our brain function every day, it's become subconscious. So part of the reason I say analyze what people are doing and watch them in situations where you can, just like kids at a park, people at church, a movie, a documentary, even if you're watching it for fun and entertainment, a one-hour documentary and you take five minutes just to watch a conversation and see if you could see a few things, what you're doing over time is you're learning things, of course, but what will happen is because you repetitively feed this information in your head, there will be times later when you're actually looking for deception or even non-deceptive behaviors and things will click and it's because your subconscious mind will feed you that information based on the preparations you've made, the study, those little bits of training and activity that you've done to try to learn those skills, just like learning anything else. Now, one of the questions I've been asked is, well, if you know this so well, can you lie to anybody? Yes, I can lie to anybody. However, it depends on who that person is. What I mean by that is going back to having assets or running sources or interrogating when I did all the human intelligence stuff, we always had time to plan things, everything from the meat to the conversation to what we wanted to do next time. There's a whole lot of stuff that goes into it. And most of the time, these are people you don't know. And depending on the job, you can develop relationships, some sources or assets you could have for years to keep where you get to know them really well. So it depends on how much planning I need or I get. So for example, there's a few people in my life that are very, very close to me and know me really well. In fact, they know me so well and communicate how well they know me. I know exactly the limits of what they know. So it's actually easier in those rare situations to do like an on-the-spot life I wanted to. And I do it sometimes just to mess with them. And I tell them what I'm doing and just kind of play around with it. I don't do it maliciously. Then there's a lot of people I know really well that know me fairly well. Of those people, if I really wanted to bullshit them, I'd have to put some time and effort into planning it. And I've done it with some people. In fact, one of the guys I've had on the live show that I'll have on the next one, Luke from Informed State of Mind and Rush Creek Survival, 
I've done things to him because of how well he knows me, but I put thought and effort into it. And then David from DMR Publications, I bring him on board. I did it for, I think I did it for uh, April Fool's Day last year where I sent Luke a message and convinced him that somebody had attacked our naval fleet in the Pacific or something. And I told David ahead of time and I said, wait this long and ask him this question. And the thing was, Luke knew me well enough that when I sent that without proof, he wasn't going to believe it. And I knew that. So I got David on board and that's what reeled him in. And I did it just for fun. And there was kind of a fun reaction to that. The other thing though is on the spot lying is a lot easier with people who don't know anything about you or don't know you. Everybody has preconceived notions about people and beliefs based on everything they're seeing consciously and subconsciously. You know, the people have certain ways they think everybody's good. They think everybody's bad, whatever. But when I approach somebody, if I want to lie to them and they don't know me, it's a lot easier to do. Plus, I did it in practice for work. That was part of meeting people and developing assets or running sources. Now, I don't do it all the time. I'm just saying I do have that ability. But a lot of it comes with years of training, experience of running real-world missions and operations. The other thing, too, is I can use body language to my advantage. Why can't pay attention and control to everything I'm doing in a conversation while talking and tracking what's going on? I can do enough to make people comfortable through things like mirroring and matching, or I can throw off body language that's complete opposite of what's really happening to give them the subconscious idea that something else is going on. And if you're wondering why I do that, it was because, especially when we interrogated people, but even when you're running sources, we have a thing called elicitation, basically getting the information from them, but they don't know what you're getting. And maybe sometimes you make them think you're getting something else or going after something else so they can leave with that idea when that's not at all what you're doing. Part of the ways that could contribute to that, if you understand body language well and you can do things to these people, is you can essentially manipulate them through your use of body language to where their subconscious picks up on it, regardless of what they consciously know, that convinces their conscious mind, here's what's going on when that's exactly not what's going on. The other thing, though, is following that same idea, instead of just lying to somebody, these skills can make it easier to persuade somebody in a positive light. Imagine if, say for an adult who's got a kid who's making bad decisions, even if that kid's an adult and you don't want the conversation to be parent versus child and all these issues you run into, understanding some of these things can make it easier to persuade them to at least get them to see your point of view and think about it, whether or not they still make that decision. I think what's most important though is to realize that when you're trying to detect deception, read body language, don't just look for bad things. Try to learn and understand what all the signs mean, as many signs as you can pick up on. Some of them are very supportive and very positive. Like I put out those videos last year for those who saw them, but it was about, I think it was uh, the governor in Texas. He had done, he'd done like this 10 or 15 minute interview with the news. And while he was talking, there was times where he said thing in the affirmative, like, yes, that's what we're doing, but he would be shaking his head. No. And then there's times when he'd say, yes, that's what we're doing. And he'd be nodding his head. Yes. So in the first case he was, that was deceptive. Now, whether or not it was a straight out lie or it was just a misleading statement that may or may not be interpreted as a lie, I don't know. But the other ones were definitely supportive when he says, yeah, that's what we're doing. More than likely, that was definitely the truth or at least the truth for him. And then there was ones that were the exact opposite where he was speaking in an affirmative, shaking his head no or speaking no and shaking his head no. And those are very common to see. The hands are important to pay attention to. We've talked about this before. Think about a kid steals a cookie, what's he do? Hides it behind him. We use our hands because it's the thing we use the most to try to protect ourselves. We use it to cover our stomach, our vital areas, or our groin. 
we use our hands to put up to stop somebody from hitting us or even have that reaction if they're not doing it. We use our hands a lot. In the same way, we'll use our hands on our face to cover our eyes, cover our mouth, cover our ears, kind of the hear no evil, see no evil, or to cover our nose. I've mentioned this before. If you go watch the impeachment of President Clinton, Bill Clinton in the 90s, there are things he does like that that are super obvious. It's a very common case study of deceptive behavior during a trial where somebody's giving testimony and they're essentially full of shit. Not that he was the whole time, but there's some super obvious stuff in there. Now, if you take another president like President Obama, it's a little bit harder to read his body language when he's giving a speech. Now, granted, he wasn't impeached on trial, but Clinton did a lot of things in the way he spoke, made it easy to read his body language. You take President Obama, so he spoke really well. He was a really good orator. And when he would stand, he would either stand and put like one hand in the other and then kind of talk with his hands every once in a while, but he would always go back to holding one hand with the other, or he would have both hands on the podium. Now, whether he was taught to do that or just something he learned, it put his hands in a point of control, like they are under control. Then you add in that you're reading from a teleprompter and you're looking left and right, which are good things to do while giving a speech, but you're reading the teleprompter and you've practiced it and you've rehearsed it well. Because you're reading, it can make it hard to do any IXS queuing as long as they're sticking to the script. So then if you want to find deception in somebody who speaks that way, you have to focus more on what they're saying and how they're saying it. But then it's a political prepared speech. So there's a lot of factors to look in there too. And that's just two presidents to give you an example. Another common thing we want to look for and pay attention to is stress. Another sign of stress is when you have stress in your speaking, it can cause stress on your vocal cords in such a way that when you start talking, you'll get a little bit higher voice. And usually at the end of the sentence, something along those lines. So that's a physical sign of stress. The question is, where does the stress come from? Most studies show, and things that have to do with body language, is that stress comes from deceptive behavior. Doesn't mean it always is. You get that teenager trying to take the girl out to the dance again, talking to the kid or talking to the dad. He gets kind of nervous and stressed and his voice goes up high at the end. May not necessarily be a sign of deception in that situation. That's why you go back to looking at all these other factors. What's the environment? Are they uncomfortable? Not just that statement, where's the conversation going? What else are we doing? Are we making him nervous? That can cause stress. It could make those vocal cords tighten and make the pitch go higher. But normal, regular conversations where you don't have a lot of that or it's not, I would say is obvious, you'll find that it tends to show deception. The question, though, when you have deception is to what degree is it deceptive? We tend to look at statements like it's a lie or it's true. And I've always said I don't like either one of those words because they are subjective. For example, a lie of omission. When you omit details, is it a lie? There's a lot of people who say yes, and there's a lot of people who say no. And sometimes they argue and say, well, you asked me this question. I answered that question correctly. I did not add in this extra information, even if it seemed to me like that's something you were wanting to know. You didn't ask it. And then some people think, well, that's semantics. Well, it's not semantics. And maybe they're using that as a defensive argument, not as a way to articulate what they were really saying. So it would be common, especially in the Western world, to see that as lying. But technically, by definition, would it be lying? Probably not, as much as I hate the word technically. So we're looking for signs that tend to mean things, but we don't want to go into it thinking everything is always a liar or it's always true. Because that defeats the idea when I said, Lying is a form of deception, but not all deception is lying. So we don't want to equate deception with lying until we have all the other factors in place. Now, don't get me wrong. There's plenty of everyday things where we can go, yeah, that's a lie. 
Now, for those that are interested in IXS queuing, I did do the podcast on IXS queuing, talking about reading eye movements, and it has the chart in there. Just to drive home on that, especially if you've been practicing, and remember when it's showing visual or audio construction, doesn't mean it's deceptive behavior and doesn't mean it's a lie. There's plenty of reasons why people have to construct memories, and it has to mainly do with what they really remember. Or if it's something that doesn't exist, they were asked to create in their mind. You know, what color was your house? Oh, it was blue. Great. I want you to imagine it green with a pink door and a unicorn running out of it. You know, something silly like that. What type of car did you drive? I want you to picture your mom in this type of vehicle. Enough questions like that, people will show construction because they have to construct that image in their head. Sometimes we tell stories. Actually, it's most of the time when we tell stories, no matter, especially when we tell them a lot. It's the stories we tend to tell more often. We have to do more construction in. We don't realize how many details we don't remember. And then when we tell the story, we feel the need to add a detail in. And it may be important to the story. And we just kind of create it to fill in the gap. And a lot of times it's subconscious. Even if it's conscious, we just kind of blow over it because we're just telling a story and it's not something that really mattered. So you could say it's a lie, but it's a reason why the construction is there. There's plenty of construction that definitely are indicators of deception. I mean, people are lying, but don't just assume that if they're showing signs of visual or audio construction, that it's a lie. At the same time, when we see them do kinesics, where it's about feelings, whether it's tactile touch, physical touch, or emotional feelings, that's the first thing people actually learn to fake. We see it all the time when you get people of a certain adult age that in certain situations act like they're younger, whether to be cute or to get away with something. You'll actually see them do that emotional eye movement for kinesics, and it's part of their brain function in order to create that situation to communicate it, whether they're doing it for fun or for play or they're trying to actually be deceptive and get away with something. That's the one you're tend to going to see first. So focus on the kinesic look to see why are they doing it. Is there something I've always seen and noticed, like you're married, you got a wife, you guys are joking around, and she does that cute little coy little girl thing and changes her voice. You may notice all of a sudden her eye movements and even her whole head movement goes to that position. It's because her brain is making her face or her eyes do it in order to create the atmosphere of that idea of how they're communicating. And in that situation I gave you, why it is clearly a form of deception because that's not really who that person is. It's not lying. It's more like game playing, role playing. So it's another way to look at deception is not always lying. Also remember too, people are going to say things that are going to be lies that you're going to see them as lies, but for them, they're not lies. There are people that believe things to be true. I've told you about people I've interrogated and they swear things up and down that we know are not correct or were never correct, but come to find out there's a reason why they believe that. Might have been a position where somebody trustworthy told them that. There's all kinds of things people believe, whether it's gaps they fill or something they create in their own mind or something that they're told that they believe to be true, that isn't. So they won't show signs of deception. So don't get in this idea that if somebody is communicating very effectively to you that something's true that you know in fact is not, and you don't see signs of deception, don't just start saying this person's a sociopath. Try to figure out why do you believe that to be true? Just like I said, when we ran sources, we'd already ask them, how do you know that to be true? What was the most recent relevant communication to you of this information, right? So maybe you're not going to do that with a regular everyday person, but it's another way to look at it. Figure out how and when they learned that 
and let that be your guide and trying to find out more why they believe this to be true that you know isn't. And then you'll come to find out, oh, there's things people are doing where I know that that's wrong, but that doesn't mean they're lying because it's not lying for them if they believe it to be true, which is why they don't show those signs of deception. Something else to look at too, I don't think I mentioned this before, is remembering at least in America how medicated our society is. Aside from how many supplements people take or whether or not they're taking too many, there's a lot of people that, of course, drink alcohol. You don't know how long it's been since they've had alcohol or they use or even recreational drug use. But let's think about over-the-counter prescription drugs. A lot of those can affect your behavior. Too much cough medicine can almost make you high depending on your age or what you're used to. There's a lot of prescription medicines people are given, especially for mental health, that are good for them, but they can affect your behaviors and how you act. Depending on the person and how much you're taking, it can affect your ability to function, to drive a vehicle, to speak intelligently. It can cause different types of movements to either speed up or slow down. So it's not that you're always going to find these things or know about them. Just remember when it's somebody you're talking to, think to yourself, is there anything you know about them medically that could explain this? You know, for example, if you speak with somebody who's on the spectrum for autism, everything about them is not consistent with people who are not on the spectrum, especially when it comes to eye movements, eye axis cueing, body language, and the way they communicate. It's because their brain works differently than people that are not on the spectrum. So that's understandable. It's the same thing as what about people that have too much of something in their body, too much caffeine, for example, and they speak a mile a minute, or too much sugar. What happens when you give a kid all that sugar on Halloween? You regret it. Medications can have that effect too. So if you know something about them and the medications they take, find out how those medications can affect people and realize that those have an effect when communicating. So if you've got a loved one or somebody you're in a relationship with, and whether or not this isn't counseling, it's just to say talking to them, whatever, and they're behaving differently, find out what medications are on. If you know what you're on, when's the last time they had it, what effect it has, and make sure that they're aware of that. But you need to be aware of that too, because it's not that it's going to help you give a cheat sheet to detecting deception, but I've seen a lot of people have close friends and close relationships where they get the idea that somebody's being deceptive when the fact is they're not being deceptive. Their body and brain is reacting to a medication they have that tends to make things either look like deception or make them easier, or it's just the fact that they're acting different or acting slower or acting faster. And we equate these behavioral changes to deception when that's not the case at all. It might be an outside influence. The other thing too is, no matter what you think you know about a person, no matter how well you know them, there's times where they're just acting differently. It could just be a bad day or they could be in a really great mood and they're not telling you why. So remember, there's so many factors there in deception that there's just as much stuff we think is deception that's not as things that are deception we don't even realize. Something I'm probably going to do in the future, I haven't done in a few years, but you can do this on your own if you know anybody with a law enforcement background, is have somebody from law enforcement that can discuss the things that they see and witness on the job and are trained on that have to do with threatening and deceptive behavior. And even if it's not like a real bad guy, like a criminal, like a murderer, you know, maybe it's just somebody at a traffic stop. What are the things they look at for their own safety? What are the things they look at for threats? Why do they watch the hands so much when guys like me watch the face so much? What is it that they've seen as deceptive behavior? And how did they learn that? Was it part of training or was it just on the job experience? And that's a great place to get that kind of information. The other thing, though, is actually people in the medical profession, especially doctors in places in emergency rooms, 
A lot of times you'll get doctors and nurses, they see tons and tons of stuff and they realize certain patterns over time that are not usually trained on. Somebody might've mentioned it and they actually learn a lot about body language, deceptive and threatening behavior, as well as loving behavior and safe behavior, just because of the exposure they have over time. And they've seen a certain amount of consistency that says this behavior, this action, this statement tends to mean this and they key in on it. So if you know somebody that's a nurse or a doctor working like a trauma area of a hospital, they're probably going to have a lot of good insight on that. Another thing that's really common is deceptive behavior by virtue of overstating things, basically over justifying or repeating, especially something positive about ourselves. If it's about us, it's usually going to be positive. Whereas if it's about somebody else, it's probably going to be negative that we say it too many times. And sometimes if it happens a lot, people catch on to it. There are times in a conversation based on how it's going where I see something mentioned two or three times. I'm like, that's out of place. Whereas other people don't see it unless it happens 10 or 15 times. Not always is two or three out of place. There's just times that I've seen that. And it's basically what they're trying to do is they're not trying to convince the listener as much as they're trying to convince themselves that it's something that they're doing or capable of doing that they're really good at. And the reason they're doing it is they know deep down that they're not, but they want it to be true. And they exhibit deceptive behavior when they do it. Because the two biggest reasons people believe lies, even the ones we tell ourselves, is we want them to be true or we're afraid that they're true. And when we tell them to ourselves, it's typically because we want them to be true. And then when they talk about somebody else or something that's not on their team, we'll say, they tend to do it in such a way that it more often is going to be negative. Not all the time, but it'll be negative. And it'll be over-convincing. It's almost like the thing they say about girls, like girls, they talk about drama and drama queens. And they'll say over and over that this person's a drama queen. Probably isn't. There's probably some other reason there that they have that issue. And you usually come to find out they had some falling out and they were friends. And so they're still angry about it. Whereas in the same situation, the woman says she's not a drama queen or doesn't like drama, but then she does it too many times. Probably going to find out that she's the person that actually initiates or participates in those situations. It's not to bash on women. These are just things that I've seen and realized that I've talked about. You know, it's like men. One of the things we do is we see it in TV shows all the time, but I know guys do this is we talk about our sexual prowess, our abilities, whether we talk to it about our buddies and joke around or we talk to it about women tends to be because it's something we want to be true about ourselves. And the thing is, just like in any situation, somebody does that, it may actually be true, but we don't really believe it ourselves. We have a lack of confidence there. And so we say that in order to convince ourselves it's true and part of the reason we tell people these things, because we haven't convinced ourselves yet, if we can get them on board with that, we can get people telling us or giving us feedback that, in fact, that is true, and that helps convince us because we haven't convinced ourselves yet. One of the other things, too, when we talk about lying, however you wanted to find it, is that everybody lies every day, and I don't remember the number off the top of my head. I got it written down. I've mentioned it in other podcasts, but we tell a lot of lies every day. And here's the thing, there's people that sit home, they don't see anybody even for one day, they just watch TV, they read a book, they clean house, they do whatever, but they're not around people, they still tell lies. Unless they're brain dead, they probably lied to themselves, even if it was just a little lie. I'm going to do this tomorrow. I'm getting in better shape. This is where I'm going to be in five years. And it's not that every time we make those statements, we're lying, but there's going to be times where we say things to ourselves where we know we're lying. Or it could just be that we have thoughts like fantasies that are fun to have about 
oh, I'm going to go look at expensive boats because if I ever win the lottery, I'm going to buy a big yacht. And this is the boat I'm going to buy. And the thing is, if we showed people that stuff and talked about it, we might show signs of deception is because we know it's not true. We know that's not ever going to be us. Now, it doesn't mean everybody's like that, but for some people, that'll be why they show signs of deception when they do that. So at the same time, while we don't always want to look for bad stuff, realize that everybody, including yourself, does lie to some degree every day, which means we also have other forms of deception and definitely showing signs of deception all the time. The trick really is, is sorting the wheat from the chaff, figuring out which ones matter. Don't chase down every little sign of deception because as you get better at seeing this stuff and hearing it and figuring it out, you're going to realize how much is really there. You're not going to be able to chase it all down. Which ones really matter? Does this deception or does this lie really matter at this point in time for whatever I'm doing? Is this a situation like an interview where everybody lies to some degree in this area and that's just normal life? It's not a big deal and doesn't really affect the outcome. Maybe that's something you want to let go. But it'll come a point where you'll have to decide what are the key ones I need to pay attention to because you cannot get them all. One of the things you may have heard or have seen people talk about is how they have this buddy or this friend or close friends that really can tell them, hey, you're fucking up. They can say all this real serious stuff to them and they'll listen to them. The thing is what people don't realize is not always because they are our friends. Part of it's because of the respect we have for them and the, the relationship, but it's because a friend is a peer. So if you think of a hierarchy of leadership or a chain of command, straight across from you is the peer or your friend. It's somebody that you are seeing each other, or at least one of you is seeing the other as an equal. And that's part of the reason why we take the criticism from them more than anywhere else. There are people that we are closer to, at least most people are closer to somebody in their family than they are to a friend, even if it's in a different way. But because that family member probably falls in a hierarchy, that affects how we see that information. It also affects how we treat them, which can affect whether or not we're being deceptive or seeing the deceptiveness from them. So you can have a friend and you guys can be as honest and brutal to each other and respect each other all the time. But when one of you becomes the boss of the other, that dynamic will change. That's a guarantee. That's kind of why they say don't ever work for family members because you're doubling down on that. It's one thing to say, I'm going to go talk to my parents and hopefully at you know, 35, I don't react to my parents the same way I did when I was eight years old. But then you'll be in role reversal because you'll turn around and talk to your 15-year-old kid and just totally miss out that there's some similarities there to what's going on. It's because there's a hierarchy. That hierarchy is always going to affect one, if not both people. This is part of the reason why, going back to the job interview, that it's so common to see these signs of deception, whether or not they're intentional or malicious or even conscious. It's because there is a hierarchy there. That person is above them. Whoever's interviewing them is above them because they have some sort of say or influence on what happens after this interview. So the person coming in for the interview is essentially the subordinate in that situation. That's the role they're fulfilling, and that's why they tend to have the reactions, and the person giving the interview isn't as typically nervous unless it's like their first time. They're not really going to have those issues. It's not because they already got the job. It's because they're in the higher-level position. The other thing is true was there may be a hierarchy, but we don't recognize it, not meaning we don't realize it's there it's ones we don't care about so if you look at law enforcement officers people treat law enforcement different ways depending on their experience and exposure to them there's people that hate cops have no respect for them whatsoever 
And you can guarantee that if that's real, if the time comes to have a conversation, even they're polite and respectful about it, they don't care what that cop says at all because they don't recognize them as an authority, meaning over them. Even if they realize there's a legal authority there, they don't see them in that hierarchy the way other people do. And then there's some people that believe cops have authority, believe in everything they're doing, whether it's fear or real respect, they behave and act differently almost as a child to a parent. Even if it's a mature relationship of a child to a parent, they see that parent in a certain way, they see that cop in a certain way. So it depends also on whether or not the authority or position is really there or we appreciate it. Is it something that we consciously recognize? Now, people always act tough and say there's things they don't recognize, but when you get them in those real situations, you'll get to see, is that really how they see it? And you'll get to see their behaviors and their attitudes, whether or not they're being deceptive, how that authority figure reacts to it has a lot to do based on their perception or their belief on where this person falls into a hierarchy. So I've hit kind of the highlights of the key points of the things you're most likely to see in most societies that you're probably involved in. So those things are definitely there. There's other podcasts we've done on tech deception that focus on different areas. There's also the book Lie Spotting. If you send me a good question that you think I'm going to answer, which I'll try to answer every question, and I need to make a show out of it or put some effort into it, I'm going to send you a free book. I still got a couple more left. I got another one going out this week. Remember, again, go in the show notes, take that quiz, and then check the answers. Go with your gut. Don't try to look them up on the internet. Definitely check out the links for DMR Publications and check out all their social media and their weekly podcast. Run over to my new link for Intel Training and Education on Locals.com and give that a try. Use that free promo code if you want to see the premium content or at least see what we're doing on there that's different than what I'm doing on other social media platforms. That's a great place, too, to shoot me a question, make a post, and tell me what you want to know more about. Throw some comments out there and get some personal coaching and assistance. And before you go... Please, wherever you're at, leave a comment on the show. Give us a review if you're on Apple Podcasts and give us a like and share whatever platform you're on and let your friends know about this as you believe this is a subject that they're going to be interested in, whether it's the whole show or just a specific podcast. If you're not on social media, I also got my email down there below if you want to send me a comment or ask me a question. And I will be here with those answers soon, right here on Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight.